This is Father Gregory Pine. And this is Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And welcome to God's Planning. For all those who enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcast. It's plural, because there are more than one. Or maybe you should just listen to one, <laughs> and this is it. This could be it. This could be podcast, a podcast, the podcast, podcast. So here we are, um, and at this stage of our lives, of our podcast lives, of our religious and priestly lives, we have yeah. to pose to ourselves the very, oh gosh, the very important question. He pauses so as to create a sense of suspense, but also to think about the question that he himself is going to pose, and then he poses the question. Which question is? How are you doing? Oh, I was honestly, I was expecting something totally different. <laughs> um, I'm not prepared to answer that. Oh yeah. So well, that was. I mean, the question being so significant, I don't know that you could possibly prepare yeah. yourself with inadequate time and inadequate resources here now. Who could think? Um, but maybe we could, you know, transition into a less significant, less burdensome question. Like, um, what's your favorite part of being a priest? Gosh, I'm not prepared. To answer. <laughs> favorite part of being a priest? You know, some. I was going to say I get to ask that a lot. That's not true. But I do get asked that sometimes. Yeah. And I never have like a sufficient kind of answer. And I kind of feel inadequate because of that. Because sometimes priests are like, I love hearing confessions or, which I do, or like, I love celebrating the mass, which I do. Those are great things. But my answer is usually um, like in some way teaching the faith. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by not just like giving a lecture or, preaching in like the strict kind of formal sense, but in the sense of like revealing as a revealer of like the goodness and the truth and the beauty of the faith of like, this is what is actually being proposed and this is why it's good, true and beautiful and like bringing other people into that. So whether that's like in the context of liturgy or sacraments or like just truth of the faith, it's, I think those moments where it's like, oh, okay. Like I see what the church is doing, what our Lord is doing, at least in these proposals. I, I so that's kind of a vague, no, that's cool kind of answer. No, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'll say something along those lines: preaching and teaching, but specifically like holy preaching and teaching, which is to say, giving people not just insights into, but an entry into the deep mysteries of the faith and the rudiments of Christian perfection. Uh, recently, so based on the experience of the last three years living in Switzerland where the church and young Catholics especially feel very embattled. Like it's hard to find resources. It's hard to find sacraments celebrated in dignified and worthy fashion. It's hard to find preaching and teaching, which, you know, cleaves to the Orthodox faith. And so when they encounter somebody, you know, like not brilliant, not excellent, just who's willing to do his job as a priest, they're like, give yeah. me more. Yeah. So the experience of having the people of God just kind of say, give me God, and then being able to do that in little ways, I love that. Um, whether it's sacramental administration or it's preaching and teaching, um, I just found a lot of people in a lot of different places who were, who were hungry for it. And the hunger and the thirst is something that, yeah, animates, motivates. Yeah, I think that's, I think we're saying the same thing. Let's go. Look at that. Nice. I also love having Sundays off. <laughs> that's really great. Well, I only do one hour of work a week and it's just Sunday morning. So that's, that's the priesthood, right? Yeah. Amen. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Amen. yeah okay. Um, so, which leads us into our topic for today's podcast, uh, which is criticizing the church, because I think some people 
have issues with the church, whether it's in its sacramental administration or it's in its preaching and teaching office or it's in their relationships, maybe with the hierarchy, maybe with the other members of the lay faithful. Uh, but, but many people find the church in its present 21st century vesture to be distressing and even discouraging. So uh, we're thinking about this question specifically under the aspect of criticizing the church. We're kind of taking it for granted that you will criticize the church, you, me, those listening, um, because we, we criticize things that we care about, that we want to be better, that we want to kind of step into the fullness of their dignity. So initial thoughts, criticizing the church, how do you lead off? Yeah, well, this is um, not an initial thought on that, but a pre-initial thought. Oh, nice. Um, it's kind of, it, I don't know. It's kind of funny that I, that we, I don't think, I don't remember. Did we do the, there's, so there's an episode that we did earlier on the virtue of complaining, but I think I didn't I think it was you that. and Father Joseph Anthony. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And I got a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, what? Um, feedback, blowback. Feedback from friends in particular, <laughs> like <laughs> who listen to the podcast and they're like, really? Like you did an episode on what you do all the time. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I complain all the time. So it was kind of that. So it, this is kind of in the same realm. So yeah. it's, if you want to check out another episode on me justifying what I do, go listen to that one or listen to Father Joseph Anthony on it. It's fine. But <laughs> it's also delving into the same kind of, uh, the same kind of area of like, as you said, that they're criticizing, complaining, these sort of things, but now particularly with the, with the church that, um, there is, as you just said, the sort of taking for granted that we're going to be critical of things, like you said, that that we uh, care about, that are dear to us, that we want to be good and great and excellent, and also in things that we invest in. You know, we, yeah. so we see that um, we see sort of the shortcomings, the the failures, the whatever, the weaknesses. I think more poignantly or more acutely, we sense those, feel those with things that are close and dear to us. So, from the outset, I, I like. The one thing that comes into my mind is a sort of, well, why are we even criticizing? Like, aren't we called not to judge and these sort of things? Like, I don't think that's a legitimate response. So I think that's something to say at the beginning of like, well, we're called not to judge. And these, well, no, that's actually not true. We're actually called to pursue excellence. And I, as we talk and talk about criticizing, and um, I think we'll be able to elicit the difference between something that's critical in a bad way or critical in a, in a kind of productive good kind of way. But mm -hmm. I think that we, as men and women who are given, who have like an intellect, we're able to see what is good and work to perfect it. And we're also able to see what is less than good and hopefully able to, to work in our own kind of way and kind of capacity to, to bring it to like, not so bad, if that makes sense. So yeah. I think it's just worth saying that from the beginning that in, there isn't all sort of criticism or judgment of things isn't bad thing. Yeah. Kind of. No, I think that's a, that's a good association. I'm, I'm, I think this is a true etymology, but criticism or critique comes from the Greek word krisis, which just means judgment. And I think, you know, maybe five, seven, 10 years ago, we had to defend judgment more staunchly or steadfastly because people were of the mind that it's not good to judge and that you shouldn't be judgmental, which are, you know, good enough sensibilities. But, you know, like you said, judgment is just what we do. I mean, it's the second act of the intellect. It's the way in which we compose or divide that we say this either corresponds or doesn't correspond. It's just how we proceed as rational animals. And so there's no way around it. There's only the way through it. The question is then how do we judge well, uh, right. or how do we judge 
truly. And I think that's that's more of a pertinent question to respond to. But it's fascinating the way that the conversation has developed, because like who am I to judge that came up a lot with respect to homosexuality. But then as the, the conversation has evolved in the last 10 years, especially with transgender issues, it's, it's more in the direction of open warfare. It's fascinating. Like in, in the public setting, you don't have to justify that nearly as much because I think it's more taken for granted that this is a cultural war and that the war is fierce and that the stakes are your children at ages five, seven, nine being exposed to stuff, which you really, really don't want. So it, it's like, it's almost like we don't have to make that argument as much, but I do think it's still a good place to begin that criticism judgment is something that we do. The question is then how to do it well or how to do it truly. So that being the lay of the land, um, I thought a good way to kind of situate the argument would be to put it between extremes. There are some people who give in to criticism or judgment somewhat irresponsibly uh, or indulgently. And I think there's a, there's a risk there of just demonizing the thing that we criticize, which would be the church. Uh, on the other side, there are people who have this negative association with judgment or with criticism. They think it's sinful and they culpabilize it. And so they're, they're not willing to acknowledge the defects or the limitations of the church in its present you know, 21st century life. But I would say a problem with that is then you end up whitewashing and not abiding in the truth. And you can even end up um, kind of like gaslighting people. Like if you're always defending everything that the church does, uh, even in its limited particular concrete expressions in the here and now, then then those who might be, you know, overwhelmed or confused by contemporary problems think like, ah, maybe, maybe it's with me or maybe I'm reading the situation wrong. And it can be super helpful when somebody says like, no, this is bad right? And, and we shouldn't like this, right? So, okay, then situating ourselves between those two extremes, maybe we start with uh, the demonization extreme. Maybe we can think about, yeah, how it's not good to indulge in or just give way to criticism of an unscrupulous sort. I don't know if you have points with which we can begin there. Yeah, I, I imagine or what comes to mind is that we, like, is this sort of attitude of hyper skepticism that then leads to like hyper criticism. So we see something and, um, or we hear something um, or are part of something, whether like accidentally at the parish or just being in the church or like at a campus ministry. And the immediate thing is to like reject any sort of kind of authority or objective reality on it simply because like it doesn't sit well, you know? So um, yeah, that father says X and it's like, well, I don't like that. Or I disagree. Your father has these liturgical preferences and they're, I don't like them. So they're inherently evil and which then trickles down to like the way by which we engage totally, you know, um, there, yeah, I think that there's, there's a problem or there can be an issue with just with approaching everything with like radical suspicion. Um, and I think sometimes that's how we approach things in the church, um, that, that we see something and there's just immediate sort of dismissal of any sort of authority, whether that's like from the hierarchy or from the tradition or whatever, um, that just then opens the door for a sort of subjective interpretation of what I want it to be. And, um, yeah, leads to, I think, an unhealthy criticism. And that's kind of in my mind in the world of like a subjective criticism, like preference criticism and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's also kind of the, as you were saying, like there are things and many things in the church and in different ways and in different places that are not excellent. Um, and, and with those kind of objective things or points, um, my, I, I remember, um, this was, I don't remember what the subject of the conversation was, but I think it had something to do with like 
responding to like clergy abuse or that sort of thing. And someone asked another pre, it was a layperson asked a priest like how to respond to, to sort of these difficulties and what one should do. Um, and his response was, well, in every time of crisis in the church, the Holy Spirit always brings about great saints. So what we need to do is, is invest in our own pursuit of holiness. Um, so I think if that's balanced with the sort of, okay, the, here are the problems, here are the errors, but like, what am I, how am I approaching it? Is it with an eye towards holiness? Mm-hmm. Is it for myself and for my family and for the church? That's, that's a way to do that mm-hmm. um, and a way to kind of, okay, then take here are things wrong and avoid the sort of like, I'm just going to criticize and my whole mode of operating is like finger wagging. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think um, I'm often reminded of a distinction that St. Thomas draws between judging things and judging people. He says, when we judge things, they don't stand to suffer from our judgments. It's like you might be more or less accurate in your description of a tree or of you know a rock, but you're not going to wound the rock or the tree by misprision or by misunder- mild misunderstanding. Whereas with a human being, if you misjudge, misprize, and then go and you know criticize on the basis of that, you can wound the individual. But not only that individual, you wound yourself because you do a kind of damage to the communion that ought to exist, even if it's of a kind of thin sort, tenuous sort. You're, you're, I mean, all sin is, in a certain sense, self-harm. Um, so I think that the interpersonal element also helps us to introduce a kind of principle of mercy in our judgments, right? Just a kind of generosity of spirit without doing mental gymnastics or convincing ourselves as to untruths that we wish were the case. But yeah, just a, a certain generosity. I was thinking about this recently because, um, you know, in the church, many, many, I can be, I'll just speak for myself, can be critical of, of Pope Francis uh, for X, Y, and Z things, which we don't need to get into. But I was reading an article you know, produced by a journalist who is also often critical of Pope Francis, what, and what I think to be a, a somewhat measured way, uh, and still like a faithful way. And he was acknowledging at the outset of this article, Pope Francis's efforts at curial reform. And it wasn't, again, he wasn't giving a lesson or he wasn't being overly didactic. He was just saying, we have to acknowledge the fact that he's very earnest about curial reform. And you might think that the way he goes about it isn't ideal or isn't perfect, but that's commendable. You know, that's like a commendable thing. And I was sobered by that because I just went there kind of expecting a certain thing and then I found another thing. So there's this this generosity or this kind of mercy. So I don't yeah, if you have further thoughts about that. Yeah, I think that the we, I, this might be kind of like getting to be a tired trope of mine, but the sort of like the failure, well, when we, when we atomize or isolate particular things and then use them as as descriptors of the whole. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, not particularly Pope Francis, but you know, if we see something happening or someone do something or someone fail in a particular thing, then to attribute like a whole, like the whole thing is rotten then, everything is wrong. Um, there's, a, I think there's a real tendency to do that. I yeah. find a tendency in, my, my, in myself to do that, whether that's with institutions, whether that's with the church, whether that's with like friends and people in the church that like, ah, this, this, that was dumb, you know, so that whole person ought to be dismissed, yeah, you know, yeah. and I think that falls into really bad hypercritical sort of thing. So even if we see, um, I don't know, just like hypothetically speaking, like um, father did something stupid or like made a mistake at like my parish and like, well, I'm not going to that parish anymore. It's done. Or he lost all credibility. It's like, well, probably not actually, you know, that's, that's not a, a healthy, that's not a charitable kind of mentality to adopt though. I think it's one that's, it's an easy temptation to give into. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that sort of like reality of, 
by like sobering reality of being able to take a step back and look at things more like holistically. I don't know if I like that word, but more holistically is, is like a healthy way to then be able to like actually look, judge, criticize in ways that are um, productive rather than just as like a battering ram. Yeah. Okay. So then let's turn to the other kind of poll uh, with which we we set up the conversation, namely taking for granted or having proved, I suppose, that, that criticism serves a purpose. Uh, we don't want to suppress all criticism for fear of whitewashing or gaslighting. So maybe we can just talk about principles for good criticism. What are things that you think should be in place when we go about this you know, critical project? Yeah. Uh, I th- the, the, like the reality of reality, <laughs> if I can say that, is... I think of the like the utmost importance here because it avoids the sort of whitewashing. And I think that's important to avoid that we can't just say everything is fine. We can't just like over spiritualize things because that's not what's real. Um, and also if we expect to see reform and the church is always in need of reform since like the very inception, the church, even in like the best of days and the worst of days of the church, like there's always need of reform. There's always need of growth and holiness as the body of Christ. Um, but we can't move on that unless we're willing to recognize mm-hmm. the need. You can't just say it's fine. You know, well, the Holy Spirit's at work. Well, yeah, it is. But the Holy Spirit also prompts us to work, you know, kind of thing. So on the one hand, that's we have to be willing to acknowledge, even if that's an uncomfortable kind of thing. Um and I think also for the sake of like those who are experiencing difficulties with the church or with particular people in the church that um, we can't we can't dismiss the reality of people who are having difficulties with the less than perfect points or realities of the church because I don't actually think that helps. I think that kind of pushes away because it invalidates what is actually being experienced and what is real. So, um, but I think at the same time, there needs to be a gentleness in all of it, a Mm -hmm. sort of like, yeah, like you said, a kind of sober reality, a sober approach. So I don't know what you think, but yeah. 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 No, I think that's, that's a good place to start. I was having a conversation with a young woman uh, a few months ago in Switzerland, in the diocese where she lived, there had been a, like an event sponsored by the diocese where, and I think it was sponsored by the the family life office where uh, a priest uh, who uh, is homosexual or same-sex attracted was talking openly about his his you know like love life in effect, and it was sponsored by the diocese. And it was very clear to me that this woman was confused, um, bemused, and yeah, otherwise dejected. And I just simply said, like, that's crazy. That should never happen. Um, you know, it was proposed in such a way that it was somewhat ambiguous and like, we're all journeying together towards the Lord and we're going to figure this out. But because it wasn't situated clearly, it ever, it ought never to have happened. Yeah. But, but especially because it was situated very unclearly, Catholics just didn't know what to do with it. It's just like, what in the world? So just as, you know, in the context of that conversation, very briefly, I just said, so this is wrong. Like this, this behavior, this lifestyle is wrong, that it would be sponsored in a way that would make you think for, you know, a, a half a second that it wasn't wrong is, is scandalous. Um, and that, you know, like we have to, we have to do better. And she was very relieved by that because she was like, I thought so, but I just didn't know how to express it. And I didn't know how to talk to other people about it or out, you know, so I think that that's just one instance in which you, I, you identify it and then you help people to identify it and then you help them to make sense. Um, so, okay. So then within that setting, I think that, yeah, some of the points that you raised that, you know, the idea here is reform, uh, or we could, yeah, just say like fidelity, holiness, growth. The church is holy because 
its bridegroom is holy because Christ makes it holy, pure and undefiled without stain or spot or wrinkle. But we, as members of the body, need to appropriate that. Um, and I think that being cognizant of the fact that we're members of the body is a huge first step. Because in the 21st century, we would treat a lot of our relationships like I choose for it or I choose against it, not that big of a deal, they're all elective. Like if this relationship is toxic, then I distance myself from it. If this boyfriend has become somewhat unwieldy, then I just ghost him or, you know, whatever. So so we're, we're very kind of commitment light, but I think that talking about our membership or our incorporation in the body is a great thing. So I don't know, you, you see other principles or arguments which issue from that? Yeah, I think, I mean, even just the, you asked like other principles, I think we need to adhere to, to principles and less to emotions on this. And yeah, that's kind of rich coming from a Dominican, but what do I mean? Not that the emotions and our emotive reactions to things don't matter, but um, they're, there are things that are true and there are things that are good and we're invited to live in the truth and to live in what is good. Um, and that example that you used about the talk that, that, that priest gave, like that is neither true nor good. And to parade that as both or to find a way like to maneuver around that and say, well, blah, blah, blah. Like if, if we can't adhere to the, the, like what Christ has given us in and through the church as what is, conducive to growing in holiness, growing in sanctity, growing in happiness, um, then like, again, like kind of what's, what are we after? Um, and I think when we see things that even if, you know, even if we don't have like that, that young woman that you were talking about, didn't have like the tools to express that well, or like grapple with that immediately. Well, there's still a sense there. Like, yeah, I belong to the church in virtue of my baptism. And there's, that's it. And there's a great like beauty and comfort to that. Um, but if we don't, if, we, if we're not relying on the sort of principles of like, by way of comparative marks, you know, it's like, is, is what's happening, does this live up to what is good, true and beautiful or does it not? Then, um, then it's, it's a little rough if we're just kind of saying, well, I feel this way about it or I don't feel that way about it. It's like, well, what is actually, what is on offer? You know, what is the church offering? What is Christ offering? So I think the baseline, those are, we, we have to stick to the principles. Otherwise, like we're kind of lost in the nebulous of what I think and feel and what somebody else thinks and feels and what this person, I think that's where a lot of the conflict between various critical kind of dispositions come in because um, there isn't a, a turn back to or a reliance on, okay, well, what is actually good here? What is actually true? What is actually conducive to holiness? So I think that's really a really important thing. So I would say like if if there's a particular thing, subject, whatever that that causes um, consternation or like difficulty, like, and you don't know why, or you don't know what is, what actually should be happening, like it's kind of incumbent upon you to find out whether that's at just asking somebody else or looking something up. So that way you can we're talking about criticism, like we can look at a problem or look at a situation, judge it, not according to my standards, but according to like the standards of Christ, and then move from there, mm-hmm. either move to fix it, move to move away from it or whatever it might be. So that way, like criticism in our judgment of things becomes um, less as a sort of like comfort or a facade or like a tool to beat other people and more of a, of a, of a, of a tool to grow in holiness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's yeah, that's a super important point that the goal is the fidelity of the church 
and that we're responsible in the order of love or in the order of charity for you know, loving God first, loving ourselves, loving those for whom we're responsible. And when it comes to this fidelity that we're trying to adduce, you know, God is always faithful. Even if we're faithless, he remains faithful. So we don't have to worry about him, but we do have to worry about ourselves and then those who pertain to us next. And the church is not a democratic republic, right? It's a constitutional monarchy in a certain sense. And so we're not going to affect change all the way up or down the line, but we can see to it that we seek to pursue the Lord with greater fervor and criticism. It features in that. Right, because as moral agents, the purpose is our own growth. It's not like to manipulate things out there to produce good effects and minimize negative emotions. The point is for us to grow to become the saints whom we're called to be. And like the evil one said to St. John Vianney, if there were just two more like you, my kingdom would fall. Right? It's like that is the way by which we're called to fight, not to not to manipulate and control so much as to abandon ourselves to divine providence. And we know in the marrow of our bones that that divine providence calls for our reform. It calls for our growth. It calls for our healing. Um, and so I think that that can be super helpful because it, it, it prevents us from always externalizing the problem and saying like those guys out there, idiots. No, it's like, you know, you don't have to call yourself the problem or say that you're the idiot, but you, you do have to own the fact that we are not yet the saints whom we're called to be. And we don't have to lament that yesterday I didn't, I wasn't raised to the altar, but that, you know, it's like the point is to motivate a response today and tomorrow and the next day, step by step. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, further thoughts on, you know, growth and holiness or other things along those lines as we can start to wrap up. Yeah, I think it's, for me, it's a question of like modality of how are we, I mean, you could attribute any kind of way of describing that modality, disposition, outlook, whatever. Um, it's really easy. We live in like, as we all well know, we live in a world and a culture that is like soundbitey and it's just kind of attack y. Like, you know, it's like it, you go on like, whatever, as Father Patrick calls TikTok, like Tic Tac. You go on like Tic Tac <laughs> or you watch a YouTube short or something. And it's like, if you're in like, it's all like, just like, shooting at other sides, you know, like with criticism and this sort of thing. And if that's the mode that we're approaching life and the church and people within the church, that's, that's not good. That's a bad thing. Um, the modality for the Christian is the pursuit of holiness. It's to be conformed to Christ by his grace. And if, if, if that's, if that's what we're after, um, then along the way, we're going to necessarily come up against things that need to be criticized, whether in our own lives, within the church, and rectified to the degree that we're, we're able to. But that, that, that criticism and judgment ought not be like the first step into everything that we're doing or the first reaction to everything that we're doing, because then it's like, we're not Christians, we're criticizers. And like, I think, we're, you know, obviously we know that's not where we're, where we're called to be and what we're called to be. But um, at the same, you know, like we talked about the other side of it, it's like we can't pretend that everything is perfect. You know, we're, we're called to work for the kingdom and to, to be drawn into that. Yeah, I, I was. Yeah, as you're as you're talking, I think that there are other examples, or there are other analogies to be drawn, which help to illuminate this this type of approach. Um, one is like, you know, when you're a member of a family. Um, I think we've lost a sense of political solidarity. So, you know, like to to pertain to a civic entity doesn't really have the same purchase that it once did. But maybe maybe a close thing to that would be like being an alumnus of a university. Um, so to the first, when you, when you criticize members of your family, you criticize them as members of your family. There's a certain way that you talk among members of your family. And then there's a certain way that you talk odd extra to those who aren't. Um, and you're, you're, you're trying because you know that you have to live with these people. You know, you might be in the same town or you might be in the same, 
uh, well, you're certainly in the same group chat, uh, but you're going to you're going to be around each other uh, quite a good bit, and your your kids are going to grow up together, and they're all just going to be thrown in together. So then the question is, how do I propose this to you, or how do I suggest this to you in such a way that it can actually work well, that can conduce to your growth and ours? Um, I think like fraternal correction is a good paradigm that we often use on the podcast to help explain that. It's like, all right, does this thing matter? Do I think it can change? And do I love the person? Am I able to communicate it with love? And then the other example, the, the university example, among like small Catholic universities, I found this with Steubenville and Christendom and Dallas and Benedictine and a few others, if I've omitted yours, my apologies. Um, but, but like when I talk to Steubenville grads, I can be critical of Steubenville because it's underwritten by love. Like all of us are happy to have been there. Maybe not all of us, but many of us are happy to have been there. But then when somebody else from another university kind of comes at me, it's like, bruv, you know, don't, you know, like you, you weren't there, you don't know it. Um, and so I think the belonging informs the manner of the criticism. And so if we can cultivate that sense of belonging more deeply, more richly with the church, then that gives us a way of, you know, trying to, you know, be gentle, be generous on the one hand, but also be true, cling to and abide in the real, like you propose. So, all right. Final thoughts. I like that, um, that, I don't know, paradigm or like gentle, what was it? Be gentle and generous, yeah. generous, and yeah. then also be like true. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of. Uh, yeah, the caritas and veritate, the encyclical of truth and love. You can't have one without the other. Yeah, yeah. They they go together, and it's the same here. Um, you can't have like you can't live in the truth of what something is without love, and you can't actually love without the truth. And that that doesn't mean that a, that either of those truth, love, generous, gentle, truth, any of those are easy things to do. It's not like oh, I'm just gonna be generous. It's like well. Maybe one day I'll do it once. But, you know, there, there are things that we have to work for, but things that are worth working for, um, especially when we um, encounter things that kind of are wrong, are bad, or aren't good. And, and that that's where, like, virtue actually comes into play and where, you know, we have to put it into action when it's difficult, when we're challenged in those kind of ways. Yeah. Yeah, some, sometimes people will say, like, don't, if you're going to bring problems to the table, bring solutions. And I think a classic Christian response is if you're going to bring problems to the table, bring virtues, right? Bring grace and virtue, bring the interior transformation, which informs an engagement will actually conduce to the salvation of those with whom you live, rather than just saying, this is a problem. Somebody else provide the solution. I mean, it's to God to provide the solution. The rest is not our business, but God's going to provide it in the context or in the setting of his providence, which will often demand of us a kind of patience, a kind of endurance, but ultimately, like you said, a, a truth and love. Boom. All right, folks, that is what we prepared. Uh, before we send you on your way, two small announcements. The first of which is that we're looking forward to hosting here in Washington, D.C. at the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception, the Dominican Rosary Pilgrimage. It's to be held on September 30th, an all-day event with mass, recitation of the rosary, preaching and teaching, um, and events besides, an opportunity to, to visit with you, to meet you, and for you to meet some of the Dominican friars whom you come to know on this podcast or the Thomistic Institute or other things besides. Um, so yes, we very much look forward to seeing you there and you can Google Dominican Rosary Pilgrimage and find out all the information on the website. And the second thing is we have our final retreat of this retreat season, which is coming up the first weekend of November, November 3rd through 5th. And it's to be held for young adults. So for those who apply between the ages of 21 and 33 at Malvern Retreat House in Malvern, Pennsylvania. So again, because of generous donations uh, for our uh, Giving Tuesday fundraiser from last year, we're able to reduce the cost such that it's, um, yeah, we hope it's it's more affordable for you. So that way you can come because we look forward to meeting you and to yeah deepening the relationships which we have 
begun to form through the podcast. So final thoughts, here we go. Thanks for listening to this episode of God's Planning. <laughs> Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, etc. cetera. Um, and if you would like and subscribe and leave a five-star review, all of which helps to get the word out to prompt the algorithm to do his job. Um, I am now personifying the algorithm. Well, it was personified as Don Cheadle in the second Space Jam movie, so I was moved by that. Uh, you can also follow, or excuse me, if you're interested in giving to the podcast, you'll find links for it in the description or show notes. In those same descriptions and our show notes, you'll find links for merchandise and for those retreats that we have announced. So, know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we'll look forward to chatting with you next time on God's Plan.